Okay, so today is the 31st, and um, if you're new to Crossroads, I just have this habit of always starting with one one verse out of the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in, in the book of Proverbs, and so there's always a chapter equal to today's date. Today being the 31st, I picked um, a verse that is not one of the ones that usually get picked. 30, Proverbs 31 is a wonderful chapter that talks, that talks about a really godly, godly woman. And um, each time we've hit the 31st before, I've done that. But this time I picked one that's not in that group. So I picked verse number 8. And, we'll, and as we go through the service today, you'll notice uh, when, when we do um, put scriptures, we put scriptures up on the wall. So um, you can follow along if you didn't bring your Bible. Today, verse 8 from Proverbs 31. Speak up for people who cannot speak for themselves. Protect the rights of all who are helpless. That's always good advice. So today we're in the first week of a new series, and um, you, you, maybe you don't know this, but I listen to a lot of different preachers. It's healthy for pastors to be preached to, don't you think, right? Okay, so um, I listen to a lot of different pastors, and over the last several years, two or three times, at least uh, several times, I would say, I've heard different pastors using a, a word that I think is kind of a made-up word, but it paints a wonderful picture, and, uh, and, and the word is true-ish, which I think means kind of true, but not really true, and um, I love the concept, and so uh, that's really going to be what our, our, our sermon series is going to be about over the next several weeks, and, and, but I want to start today by um, just doing a little bit of, uh, of a game. Let's do a little bit of true and false. And so here's how this is going to work. I'll just give a statement, and um, then you'll vote, true or false. Now, the point I want to say right now is that if you don't vote, you're just a wimp, okay? So make sure you, uh, you, you, you guys man up, and you women, you can man up too if you want. But anyway, so um, let's, let's make sure we vote on this. Okay, number one, the Bible is the most shoplifted book in the world. How many would say that's true? Raise your hands. Okay, all right, quite a few. And, um, and now, how many would say it's false? False. Okay, the correct answer is true. That's true. Number two, a kiss lasting one minute can burn 100 calories. I see a lot of smiles out there. How many would say that's true? Okay, not too many. And how many would say that that's false? Yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. It's not the kiss. It's, it's what comes... Never mind. Okay, so... But, but I will say this. There, there is, has been a study that does say that men, you will live up to five years longer if you kiss your wife before you go to work, right? Okay? <laughs> no, no, no good calories there, but you live a longer life. So ladies, this is your permission. If you, if you, know, if you heard that, you, you should look your husband in the eyes. He's going out the door and say, you, bring those lips over there and plant them right here, right now. Right here, right? Okay? We can do that. That's, you have a license to do that. Number three. According to Cat Fancy Magazine, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm not really sure I even want to mention this magazine. Okay, according to Cat Fancy Magazine, a typical cat purrs 10,950 hours during its lifetime. Okay, how many would say that's true? Okay, good. Okay, and how many would say that's false? Okay, well, what, that's pretty well, pretty evenly split. The correct answer is, who gives a rip how many hours any cat purrs during its lifetime. <laughs> okay, so okay, so let's let's move on. So um there was this um profound, very, very relevant question 
that was asked of Jesus, and it occurred in a conversation when he was uh, talking with, with Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate was trying to figure out what he should do with Jesus. And um, so this, is found, uh, this conversation is found in, in the book of John in chapter 18. We're going to pick it up in verse 37. Uh, this is Pontius Pilate talking. He says, you're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, now this is Jesus talking, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world, so here Jesus is now going to tell the reason he came, the reason he came is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth, so what group of people is Jesus talking about, right? Okay, the people, uh, everybody on the side of truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate asks this question that's been discussed for centuries. We don't know whether he was being sarcastic or sincere. We don't know that. But, but here's his question, verse 38. He says, what is truth? What is truth? So, Lord, now as we open up your word today, I pray, God, that you, you, your spirit would invade our circumstances, invade our heart, and that somehow, Lord, we would not possibly be unchanged that just, the, um, just the, the reading and the hearing of your word, hearing the good news, will somehow be licensed to the Holy Spirit and that, Lord, lives will be changed. I thank you for that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So that question, what is truth, has challenged virtually every generation probably since uh, all of creation. Why? Why, why is that? It's because it, the deal is it, it determines, truth determines so much about our lives. And if you're a note taker, I want to give you a statement. You should write this down. Here's the deal. What you believe determines how you behave, right? Right? What you believe determines how you behave. It determines how you behave materially. It determines how you behave financially. It determines how you behave morally and ultimately how you behave spiritually. And how you behave spiritually will determine what happens to you after this life ends, so it's a pretty big deal here. We're, we're, we're way, way up on the scale of importance here. So what you believe determines how you behave. And I don't think it's just consciously. I think there's some subconscious things at work. And For example, um, and I, I see this occasionally as a pastor. Maybe you've seen it in your life, and I hope you haven't experienced it. But think about what happens in a child when they're told by their parents that, you know, you're just not that good at anything. You're, you're never going to amount to anything. You know, they start to live their life, and, and they, they just don't even try because they believe something. Their belief system drives them. And I, I would just ask you, this, all of you, church, this, this question right this moment. What, what, what beliefs about yourself are, are presently affecting your behavior, whether they're good or bad? What, what beliefs do you have about yourself that are affecting your behavior? For example, I mean, you know, I, I try all this time, and no matter what I do, I just I can't lose weight. I'm never going to be able to, 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 to get into physical condition or lose weight. Or I'm just not that good with numbers. I hear that a lot. Or I'm just not a creative person. Or I'm not athletic. I'll never be able to do anything physical. Or, you know, I'm a procrastinator. You're told you're a, proc- you're a procrastinator, so why even try? Or I'll try tomorrow. Yeah, I suppose. So what you believe determines how you behave. And... And Okay, so remember now, why did Jesus come? He came to testify to the truth. That's what he said. He came to testify to the truth. But there is one who exists totally to oppose the truth. Scripture calls him Satan. And there are other names. It calls him Lucifer. It calls him the great deceiver. And one of the most common way he's referred to in Scripture is he's called the father of lies. Jesus came to represent the truth. 
But Satan, who is an enemy of ours, is called the father of lies. And, and Jesus was talking about this in John chapter 8, and we can see what he said. Words of Jesus, he said, The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Interesting, um, this is a side note, and I didn't study this out, but Jesus is drawing a nexus here between murder and lies, and I, that would be an interesting thing to study out. But anyway, he says, not, the devil is not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Why doesn't he hold on to the truth? Because there's no truth for him to, in him to hold on to. When he lies, Jesus goes on, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The father of lies. Jesus came to testify to the truth. Satan came as the father of lies. And I, I really believe that lies um, come into play not only person to person, but entire cultures can be led by people of low character through the use of lies. And uh, I'm going to quote someone who you may have heard of. His name is Joseph Goebbels. If you don't know who that is, he was um, Adolf Hitler's primary strategist and uh, propagandist. So pretty infamous guy. But here's a quote from him. At least it's, it's attributed to him. Don't know whether he said it or not. But it said, If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, People will eventually come to believe it. And I really believe that that is one of the devil's most effective strategies. Now, I'm going to take you on a little bit of rabbit trail here. Um, as I was doing my study, and I was, was, this, this quote captured me, and I thought, yeah, I've seen that at work, not just in World War II, but I think I see that going on in our world today. And, and here's what happens when a big lie is told and, and as it starts to gain some cultural traction where people start to say, yeah, okay, I'm going to believe that. You'll see those behind the lies, their strategy goes deeper. They start, they start to make fun of non-believers, people who don't believe what they've told. Or, and they start to ridicule them. It builds up over time. And over time, you see them start to villainize them. And they villainize people who don't believe. They call them haters sometimes is the term used in our culture. And I, I really... That drives me nuts hearing that word hater. If somebody, you know, I've had a discussion with someone before and I just haven't agreed with them. I've been very nice and, 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 and reasonable about it. Just don't agree. And they say, well, you know, what's the deal with you? Are you a hater? And I'm saying, no, I don't hate anybody or anything. This has to do with a disagreement. I just, just because I disagree doesn't mean I, don't hate, I hate. Anyway, so um, also during, during World War II, um, I want to read to you um, a psychological profile, just a couple of sentences it was created by the United States OSS. Um, and the OSS in the United States was, later it became what's called the, the CIA. So um, this is a profile that our intelligence community created about Adolf Hitler during the time of the war. So I'll read this to you. Quote, his primary rules were, never allow the public to cool off, never admit a fault or wrong, never concede that there may be some good in your enemy, never leave room for alternatives, never accept blame, Concentrate on one enemy at a time and blame, every, blame him for everything that goes wrong. People will believe a big lie sooner than a little one, and if you repeat it frequently enough, uh, people will sooner or later believe it. I, I'm pretty certain that I see that kind of stuff going on right now. And you can see that it happens not only um, in our culture with government, but it, even in science. In fact, this last week I was reading um, um, in the New York Times, and I read lots of different different uh, news sources. I read from the New York Times. I read the Wall Street Journal. I read Fox News. I mean, I'm, I go all over the map. And the New York Times is not known for being conservative, right? <laughs> okay. 
So um, there was an article this last week, and it was talking, was the subject of the article was talking about um, scientific, scientifically accepted papers that had been published in scientific journals, uh, papers that had been withdrawn, and it listed several very prominent ones over the last uh, decade or two, very famous studies upon which laws and uh, cultural direction um, f- flowed, and those papers were subsequently withdrawn because scientists were either dishonest or they doctored their results. They had an agenda, a social agenda, or some other agenda. And um, lying, just uh, it isn't just one-on-one, but it's cultural. It's even sometimes in the science community. And here's the deal. Satan is really very cunning. He's not going to tell you a lie that is so outlandish that the first time you hear it, you're just going to reject it offhand. You know? Instead, because he's the master counterfeiter, He's going to give you something that looks true, something that feels true. He's going to give you something, and we're going to call that true-ish, true-ish. Because if he gave you some outlandish lie, you're smart enough to know how that's stupid. That's just obviously not true. He's going to, instead, he's going to give you something that looks true, feels true. It's something that sounds true, true-ish, true-ish. And here's the deal. If you navigate across, like, let's say, an ocean. You leave, you leave uh, our shores and you try to navigate to Tokyo. If you start with a little tiny navigation error, a little bit off of your true course, by the time you get 6,000 miles or however far it is to, to Tokyo, by the time you get there, you're going to miss by a long ways. You're going to be a very, very far distance off of the truth. And here's the deal. If the devil can take you even the tiniest bit off of the truth over the lifetime, one day you're, gonna, you're just going to wake up and you're going to be very, very far from truth, which is, I believe, what he's doing today. Because he wants you to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we can see um, the result of this in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to flip through a couple of different verses. I'll put them on the wall again. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Um, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness and wickedness of men. Men and women who do what? Of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, which is happening today, isn't it, right? I mean, after all, we're enlightened. We know more than our parents know, right? Okay, Life is different today. Although they claim to be wise, Scripture says, they became fools. And what did they do? Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Created things doesn't just include you know, golden calves and idols like that. It includes everything that was created. The earth was created. And... Um, so th- there are people today that worship the earth, and I'm all for stewardship. I agree that we need to be careful and wise about our, 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 our earth and our environment. But there's a point where stewardship becomes less stewardship, and it starts becoming more worship. And I don't, not, I don't, I'm not going to necessarily tell you where that line is. I'm just going to say that, that uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, you can look for it yourself. I think it's probably about verse 25 or 28, I think. Basically, the Lord tells us to... Um, to subdue, to subdue the earth. And anyway, so um, true-ish, things that sound true 
look true, they, they feel true, but they're actually a lie, truish. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what I believe are one of the, is probably one of the greatest problems that our generations face today. And I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit will be um, wanting to pr- pr- powerfully prophetic um, as, as the Holy Spirit will speak to us and open our eyes to some things, some of the most dangerous and false belief systems of, 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 of this generation today. So, um, you know, and our spiritual enemy, Satan, the father of lies, he's got two very, very effective weapons that he's using today. Weapon number one is relativism, and weapon number two is subjectivism. And uh, relativism and subjectivism, I'll explain what those two are. Re- what is relativism? Relativism is the assumption that there is no such thing as absolute truth. No such thing as absolute truth. Truth is evolving. Truth is not constant. What used to be true is no longer true today. For example, I, I've, I had a, I've had a conversation like this or something very similar to this many times over the last decade or, or so with um, a young, let's say, a young Christian, and I don't mean, I mean young chronologically, okay, but ma- mature, um, vibrant in their faith, but they, they, this conversation, and they'd be talking about so-and-so, and I've got a friend who is a, a lesbian, and then the conversation stops, they look at me, and they say, oh, you know, I know that when you were younger, homosexuality was wrong. But now, we all know that it's not wrong. Now, the point of this illustration is not to make a case about homosexuality. That's not what uh, I'm trying to address today. But the point is to show the very, very common belief that what used to be wrong years ago is no longer wrong today. Because in this generation's mindset, truth is not constant. It evolves. Now, my parents would say that there is absolute truth, but most of today's youth would say there's no such thing as absolute truth. And because this is the mindset by which they've been raised. Um, there's, um, there's a 19th century German philosopher named Georg um, Hegel who, who basically taught that essentially, that truth isn't constant. And he had this, this, this process, this, thes- this theory um, that explained it like this, and I'm not going to try to bore you with a lot of philosophy, but the concept is being taught out there right now. So he basically would say that any given truth, something that you think you know, we'll call that a thesis. For every thesis, there's an opposing thought, a, a, an antithesis. And when, whenever truth collides with an opposing truth, when a, a thesis collides with an antithesis, the two synthesize. There's a synthesis. When, when, when truth meets an op- oppositional thought, it reveals a new truth, this evolving truth, because Hegel suggests that truth is not constant. An example, here's, here's an example. If you were alive in the 50s, and I look around, I know there's lots of people here alive in the 50s. I was alive in the 50s. But back in the 50s, marriage was considered a sacred institution. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. In fact, if, if, you know, the subject of divorce in the 50s was, was very hush-hush. I mean, people were very quiet about it. You, you just didn't do that because marriage was considered holy. And then we get to the 60s, and the 60s, things were really radically shifting. It was more about free sex and a concept that you don't even have to get married. So in the 50s, marriage is important. In the 60s, 
sex was important. It's not, you know, sex isn't about marriage. And those two concepts collide. They evolve into a new truth today, which is marriage doesn't really matter. In fact, you can get married, but if you're not happy, you don't have to stay married. And in fact, why even bother getting married anyway? You might as well just live together because truth is not constant. It evolves. Relativism. Sub- subjectivism. So what's, what's subjectivism? It's the second weapon that our enemy uses. Subjectivism is, is this. I, the subject, you know, I have the right to determine right and wrong without submitting my judgment to any authority outside myself. The right to determine. I have the right to determine right and wrong without submitting my judgment to any authority outside myself. Subjectivism. Since there is no absolute truth, you can't impose your beliefs on me or I'm the source of truth or I'll determine if my actions are right or wrong based on how I feel. And subjectivism leads, me, leads people to these certain beliefs. You know, well, if it feels good, it must be true. As long as it makes me happy, that's all that matters. As long as I'm sincere, it doesn't matter what I believe. Or as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it doesn't matter what I do. And those statements, those beliefs are absolutely and completely true-ish. They feel right. They sound right. They seem so appealing. But when I believe those false beliefs, those false beliefs determine how I behave. And when I take even a minor step away from truth, I wake up years later very, very far from actual truth. Very, very great and effective weapons of our spiritual enemy today. There's no absolute truth, and, and since there's no truth, I'll determine what's right for me. Truish. And now this is where our chat today is going to get a little bit challenging because when a guy like me stands up in front and says, you know, here's the truth about something, and uh, you know, if you've been raised in the mindset that there's no such thing as absolute truth, you know, when you hear someone say, here's truth, you've been taught to believe that, that, that the person making that statement is either, at the very least, arrogant or you know, at the very worst, they're dangerous. And I want you to know, I'm, I hope I'm not arrogant. I don't believe I am, and I'm certainly not dangerous, but I want to talk about that and I'll help you see that I'm neither arrogant nor dangerous. And so I'm going to start by asking you a very intellectual question, and then I'm going to give you a real-world example to help you with this. So the question is, is there's a statement. I'm going to make this statement. The statement is this. There is no absolute truth. My question is, is that statement, there is no absolute truth, is that statement absolute truth? Is it absolutely true? Because, okay, this is not a trick. <laughs> it, just, it just simply demonstrates that there is absolute truth. Because to make the statement that there is no absolute truth is an absolute statement in itself. And so you can kind of see where um, the very statement itself begins to kind of eat itself and uh, it kind of crumbles under its own weight. So... And because of that simple fact, that's why most people believe in absolute truth. But, but let's just the- theorize. Let's go beyond that. Let's just theorize that as a seeker of truth, you can actually find out some truth, okay? And, and when you find that truth, that truth either benefits or hurts you. Um, okay, so for example, I, today I, I wanted to know whether there was going to be a car race on, a NASCAR race where the cars would go in circles, and I wasn't quite sure, so I wanted to seek the truth about that, and I got on my um, TV and flipped through the guide, and I found out when it was on and what it was on, and I, I now possess some truth, and just because I know that there's a race today 
that doesn't make me arrogant or dangerous. I just happen to possess it. And anyway, so you can possess it. And that doesn't, just possessing it doesn't make you arrogant or dangerous. But because you've experienced the consequences of truth, whether it's good or bad, and you want to help others know that truth for their own benefit, you know, you're not arrogant. Make sense so far? Okay, you're with me? Okay. Okay, so I'm going to give you another example. So I, I was probably about age 11, and my family went to visit um, my aunt and uncle and cousin cousins who had a farm down in um, Idaho. And... Um, so I'm about 11, and I'm out with my cousin Stan, and we're out just doing our stuff. And here's a bunch of c- cattle out in this field, and there's a fence, but it's a little tiny fence. You know, it's got just little tiny wires and little white knobs. You, can, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> okay? And so um, I, I looked about that, and I'd seen electric fences, but never really, you know, experienced one before. <laughs> and so I looked at the cows, and they looked, um, they looked like they were okay. Didn't, and I said, what's the deal with that? And he says, well, they stay away. It hurts. I said, yeah, but they seem okay. He says, yeah. I said, well, what happens if I touch? He says, try it. Kind of thought about that for a minute. I thought, all right. So um, I walked up and um, I reached out and I possessed some tr- <laughs> truth, okay? I mean, I, I, this is completely off subject. I did this another time too. I actually, um, one time the toast got stuck and I stuck a knife in the toaster thinking, hey, the, 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 the little wires in there aren't glowing anymore. It must be off. And I don't remember anything until the next thing I realized I was on the floor of the kitchen looking up at the ceiling. Anyway, so make sure you unplug the toaster. Okay, so I I, I learned something about this electric fence. I learned it. I do not need to experience it again. I now possess that truth, okay? Fast forward now to a number of years later. I'm a teenager, and I had a friend here who's got a farm, kind of little hobby farm. His family lived out Delphi Valley, and they had an electric fence. And there were several of us guys there, and... uh, one of the guys in the group says to one of the other guys, hey, you know, <laughs> go ahead and, you know, it, and pee on that fence. You know, I'm sorry for that. Anyway, so, um, okay, now here's me. Here I am. I'm possessing some truth, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be fun to watch, <laughs> okay? But, but then there's also something that says, you know, that is not good. And I said, don't do it. Do not do it. As much as I would like to watch the show, um, don't do that because... It will hurt you, and you'll be glad that you didn't do it. So, the fact that I that I possess that truth didn't make me didn't make me arrogant, didn't make me dangerous. In fact, that's an example. If I withheld the truth, that withholding would have made me dangerous. And uh, I know I think it's pretty common. Parents teach their children things because they've experienced the consequences of truth. So. And that's the heart of a good steward of truth. You want to help other people experience it if it's going to impact their lives in a way that will bless them or prevent them from being hurt. So, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go ahead and, and make a statement of truth. Now, when I do this, if you've been raised with a mindset that there's no such thing as truth, immediately <laughs> your walls are going to go up and you're going to think, I'm just not going to listen. So what I'm asking you to do, I'm just asking you for the next couple of minutes, would you suspend that defensive and, 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 and plan and instead just, just hold on to your concerns that I'm arrogant or dangerous and let's just see where this goes, see where it takes you, okay? And then I'm going to explain why it is specifically why people reject this statement that I'm going to make, okay? And um, so, so what is truth? If you're taking notes, truth is not just a what, but a who. Truth is not just a what, but a who. 
It's not just a what. It's not just a philosophy. Truth is not just a mindset. It's not just an idea or a statement. It's not just something you learn from a book. Truth is not just a philosophy that somebody teaches you in school. And it's not just a what, but a who. Truth is a person, a person. Consider, consider whether Jesus' claim was actually true when he said this in John 14. He said, I am the way. I am the, the truth. I am the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am truth. I'm God in the flesh. In, in the book of John, chapter 1, um, starting in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God was truth. Truth became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of two things. He came full of grace and truth. Came full of grace and truth. Why is it that so many people today would reject the statement, Jesus is truth? It's, it's not because of the life that Jesus lived. I mean, if you read about the life that Jesus lived, if you look at who he was as a person, even someone who hates Christianity can easily look and say it was a beautiful life. I mean, he was full of love. He was generous. He was compassionate. He cared for people. He, he embraced the rejected. He, 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 he was wise. Even if you hate Christianity, you got to look at Jesus and go, you know, he was a pretty cool guy. He was pretty special. So when you reject the statement, Jesus is truth, I think you're not so much rejecting the life of Jesus as rejecting how Christians have represented him. And, and I, I've got no defense for that. I've got no defense for that because when you compare the lives we Christians live against the life of Jesus, there's just, <laughs> just no comparison. We, you know, we as Christians, we are embarrassingly hypocritical. And sometimes we're horribly judgmental. I mean, if you look at the way we live versus the way he lived, we, we just sometimes, we just, I mean, oftentimes we just don't get it. We just, it just happens that way. So people instinctively reject Jesus because Christians have been all truth and very little or no grace. You know, well, if you don't believe the way I do, you're going to go to hell. If you don't look the way I do, you're going to go to hell. Hey, if you're not living this life, if you're not one of us, you're going to hell. And the problem is that when it's truth without any grace, truth without grace leads to legalism. Truth without grace leads to judgmentalism. But there's a flip side too, and that's the mindset of the world today, and that's you know relativism and subjectivism, and that's all grace and no truth. Hey, what's cool with you is cool with me. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. I mean, as long as you're not hurting anybody, that's okay. As long as you're sincere, whatever. Then, then when that happens, the God becomes tolerance. The God becomes political correctness because it's all grace and no truth. But remember, when Jesus came, he came full of grace and truth. 
truth and grace. And when you look at Jesus, you will experience grace and you will experience truth. He's life-changing. He's, he's absolutely life-changing. The challenge here for me is, you know, I'm, I'm, just, it's, I'm just simple flesh and blood. I can't convince you that Jesus came full of truth and grace. And the reason I can't, Scripture, scripture tells us that. It says in Matthew 16, you'll find out that I can't. I'm just flesh and blood. I, I, I can tell you what he's done in my life. But I can't persuade you. That's a work that only the Holy Spirit can do, is to persuade someone in their heart. So what I'd say to you is this. What's truth? You're asking that question. I would just say this. You better seek it. Because what you believe determines how you behave. And how you behave has ramifications, not just in this life, but whatever, whenever, whatever happens after this life. You'd be really, really wise to seek truth. So if you're a skeptic, I would suggest you open up this book, the Bible, and you know, open up your mind and just read about Jesus. Just, just read about him. Pick, pick one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. doesn't matter. Pick whichever one. I mean, I would suggest John. And, and read. Just take a look at his life. Ask yourself, could he really be truth? And as you do, I believe that this is what's going to happen. Jesus, the truth. He can absolutely and completely set you free. He said so in in John chapter 8, verse 32. He said, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What will it set you free from? Well, it'll set you free from any truish belief, any false belief that takes you away from the truth of honoring God with your life. You know... um, how big, strong elephants get trained. You know, they have an amazing amount of of strength. An adult elephant can lift with its trunk, you know, between 600 and 1,000 pounds. With its nose, I guess it's not really a nose. But, okay, with its trunk, they can lift 600 to 1,000 pounds. A fully mature, big, healthy um, bull male can, can carry 15,000 pounds. That's, that's like stacking 130 people on top of them. Okay, these are big and powerful animals. But you've probably seen pictures or, or know about this, that you see them many times. They're, they're being, being restrained, not by fencing, but they have a shackle around one leg and a chain, and then, then there's a post pounded into the ground at the other end of the chain. And it holds them. It holds them. But in truth, they could pull that thing out without any difficulty at all. Why don't they? Well, the reason is when they're just a baby, cute little baby elephant, they chain them up like that. And a little, of course, when the little baby elephant uh, is chained up, they don't like it and they try to pull and they pull and they pull, but they're not strong enough yet. But they pull anyway. In fact, they many times pull so hard that the shackle around their their leg uh, maybe cuts the skin. It hurts, it's painful, and it teaches them a lesson. You cannot get away. And even though as they grow older and they get stronger, they could, they don't even try. What's the truth? The truth is they're free. They have the power to walk away. What's the lie? The lie is you're locked down. And Jesus would say, the truth will set you free. The truth is if you seek truth, if you pursue him, you will find him and he will set you free. He'll set you free from 
living for the things of this world. He'll set you free from the emptiness that you feel when you're trying to find meaning in a world where you just can't find meaning. He'll set you free from the aching that you have and, and, and the, the consequences, actually the horror that your sin will bring before God. He'll set you free and bring you into a relationship with God. Jesus is the truth, and he will set you free. You seek him. If you seek him, you will find him. He promises that, that for those who seek him, that, 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 they, that he will be found. And I can tell you personally that, you know, I, I've seen him. I, I see him in my life. I've met him, and I am different because of him. I'm not just different from what I was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. People, so, some of you people have known me for decades. I'm different than I was from last year and from five years ago because he's, he's the truth. His name is Jesus, and he set you free, and he set me free. And so I want to, uh, just as we get to the conclusion here, I just want to ask a couple of questions. And um, the first one is pretty simple. You know, you can answer this. You don't have to put your hand up. But um, the second one, I do not want you to put your hand up when you answer it. But first one is this. Do you know, do you know somebody who's, who's living with relativistic viewpoint? You know, they don't see any absolutes. And, and the consequences of that belief system is actually hurting them now. And the question is, you, you can think of, think of that and you're willing to pray for them. Okay, so you got them in your mind because we're going to pray for them, right? Second question is this. No hands, please, on this one. How many of you see a little bit of relativism or subjectivism or both in your own life? Okay, now, so here's what just happened. On question number one, let's say question number two if we did raise our hands, way, way fewer hands would go up. And it would, that's true for several reasons. People would say it's private. I don't want to admit it in front of a bunch of people. But, but there's another reason, and that's this. Um, we become blinded uh, when, when our spiritual enemy convinces us because we think these things are true. They're true-ish. But we become blinded to the things that, that we believe that are true-ish. We can't see the lies that we're often believing because they feel right. And I believe that every single one of us, me included, is following some true-ish beliefs somewhere in my life. And those beliefs are just a bit off of the truth of God. The problem is they lead us to a really, really dangerous area. Over the next several weeks, we're going to uh, take a look, and I'm going to address and try to expose three of the most common and most dangerous true-ish beliefs. Let's pray. Lord, right now, we pray for people that we know and love that we can tell are hurting and they're making bad decisions, and, and yet maybe they're even believing you with all their heart. We pray, Lord, that by your grace, you would draw them back. And Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would even convict us of our own truish beliefs, and that that, you, that your, your word and, and time in your presence would show us the truth, God. And Lord, I, I just confess in my own life right now, my own need to be cleansed from those lies, those truish beliefs. Your, your word tells us that there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. And we don't want to go down that road, Lord. We want to travel the road of truth. So Lord, thank you for mercy. Help us to see and I want to pray right now for those who are hearing these words, who are 
are seeking or will seek truth knowing that, Lord, you promised to be found by them, that, that you will meet them. And some of you who are listening to this right now are ready today. You're ready today. You don't need any more exploring. You're ready to take a step of faith. You're ready to believe that when God said that he loved you, he, that when he said he sent his son to die for you, you believe it. You recognize that your sin separates you from God, and, 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 but you also believe that Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the light. I just really encourage you to, in the next moments, just in your own words, to invite him to lead you on that way and to forgive you of your sins. You can pray it just like this, and I'll show you right now. Lord, I realize that my sin causes me to fall short of your glory. That's what scripture says. And that you love me so much that, um, that you came and paid a terrible price. You died on a cross because of my sin. And you did it to, to lay down and to become a sacrifice in my behalf. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. I recognize that I need a Savior, that you are him. And I ask, Lord, now for you to forgive me of my sins. And I thank you, Lord, for doing that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.